has risen indeed. And we are so glad that you're here to celebrate that with us today. I have to let you in on a little secret. We kind of got a head start on our celebration of the resurrection here at Cedar Creek because we decided if we could spend a whole month celebrating Jesus' birth, that we were gonna spend more than just one week celebrating his resurrection. And so that's what we've done here at Cedar Creek for the last month, we've been celebrating the resurrection. And a big part of that celebration has been this series of messages in which we've been exploring these amazing invitations that Jesus offers to every one of us. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever your beliefs or lack of beliefs, Jesus invites you first to come and see. To see for yourself who he is. To not just listen to what everybody else says about Jesus, what your parents or your pastor or some professor in college told you. To discover Jesus and who he is for yourself. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he doesn't require you to have it all together, to have all your doubts dealt with. You just come to him, whoever you are, whatever you're dealing with. And then when we come to him, Jesus invites us to follow him to begin to act based on what we discover about who he is. But we discovered that, that following Jesus was not just about a change of direction or trajectory for our lives, but it was about a change in priorities, beginning to see what is truly important in our lives. And then Jesus invites us, interestingly, to come and die. Not a very enticing uh, invitation, right? But we discovered Jesus was not talking about a physical death. He was talking about dying to the self-centered desires that keep messing up our lives. These desires that we pursue because we think they're gonna be fulfilling and they're, they're good for a moment, but they leave us empty and hollow and broken. Now today, on Easter Sunday, I want us to look at what I believe is the most amazing invitation that Jesus offers to us, and that is to come and live. To move from just existing to truly living. To, to move from just going through the motions of life to truly living that full and meaningful life that he created us for. Jesus first offers this invitation to his disciples, his, his closest followers as they're sharing that last meal together. Jesus is just literally a few hours from being arrested and tried and crucified. And as Jesus is on his way to death, he invites his disciples to come and live. Notice what he says, John 14, 19. Jesus says, before long, the world will not see me anymore but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. What's Jesus talking about? Obviously, he's talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection. The world's not gonna see me. I'm gonna be dead. I'm gonna be placed in a tomb, but you're gonna see me because I'm coming back to life. And when I come back to life, you are coming alive. And I'm sure the disciples had no idea 
what he was talking about when he said that. Even though he had told them many times that it just went right over their head. I'm sure they were thinking, come alive. Aren't we alive already? What have we been doing for three and a half years? We've been following you. We've been seeing God's power, miracles. We've been teaching a message of the kingdom coming. We believe you are the Messiah. We thought we were alive. What do you mean, come alive? See, that's the thing. We look at the Easter story from this side of the resurrection. We read this verse from this side of the resurrection, but the disciples weren't expecting a resurrection. It was the last thing on their mind. That's why there are no followers of Jesus on that first Easter Sunday morning standing outside the tomb going, well, it's been three days. He said three days. Three, two, one, come on back, Jesus. No, They were not looking for a resurrection. In fact, when they discovered that the tomb was empty, their first thought wasn't resurrection. Their first thought was grave robbery. Somebody has stolen his body. Put yourself in their shoes, if you can, for just a minute. Think about this. They had bet it all on Jesus. They had abandoned homes and families and businesses and they had followed him and at some point they became convinced that he really was who he said he was. He was the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Rescuer of Israel who was gonna restore the nation of Israel to even a higher place than King David had hundreds of years before and they had a front row seat. They were in on the ground floor. They were going to be a part of this amazing move of God. Then came Friday, and when he died, their hope died with them. Maybe he wasn't the Messiah because God would not die, the Messiah would not die, the Messiah came to win, to reign, to conquer, to restore. Imagine those two days I would imagine Friday was a day of complete shock, totally overwhelmed. Some of you've been there, right? You've gotten that call you never saw coming. You've heard that doctor say it's cancer and it's stage four and it's bad. You've seen that spouse walk out and abandon you. You've stood over that grave of someone who had a lot of life left to live. You know that feeling, it's so overwhelming. It's like you can't breathe, you can't process it, the grief, the shock, all of that. And I'm sure that's what Friday was like for them. Now I would imagine Saturday was a day full of questions. How do we miss it? What went wrong? What are we supposed to do now? Our friend is gone. Can you imagine the grief? See, Jesus wasn't just their rabbi. He was their friend that they loved. He was the center. He was the glue that held them together. He's the one that determined where they went and what they did, all of that. And now he's gone. And what do we do now? When he died, hope died with him. But... But then came the morning that sealed the promise. His buried body began to breathe. I love that song. And out of the darkness, the roaring lion declares the grave has no claim on 
me. Can you imagine? John writes in his gospel that when Jesus appeared to his disciples for the first time after the resurrection on that Easter evening, they were overjoyed. I'm telling you, that's probably the greatest understatement ever. Can you imagine? He's back. Our friend is back. And not just a relief from the grief and the unanswered questions, but their lives will never be the same. This is a game changer for them. And it's a game changer for us still today. That's why years later, the apostle Paul would write these words in 2 Corinthians. He says, this, talking about the resurrection, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The resurrection is not about you being able to turn over a new leaf. The resurrection is about you being able to become a whole new tree. We're not talking about an extreme makeover home addition. We're talking about getting a brand new home. See, as humans, we we always try to change things from the outside in. I can change my, if I can just clean up my act, if I can just behave a little better, if I can just change how I act. But Jesus didn't die so you could become a better behaved person. He died and rose again so that you could become a totally new person. You see why Easter is so much bigger than just bunnies and baskets and new clothes and attending a church service? It changes everything. And as we celebrate the resurrection today, I want to look at three things this new life in Jesus offers. Jesus invites us to to live a life unchained from my past. Jesus invites me to live a life unchanged from my past. Two things we all have in common. As diverse as we are here across all of our campuses and online, we come from different places and backgrounds and experiences, but two things we all have in common. One, we all have a past. And two, there are aspects of that past that keep messing up our lives today. Maybe there are things we've done, maybe there are things other people have done to us, and although they happened five, 10, 20, 30 years ago, we still feel chained to them. Our past keeps dictating our present and determining our future. You ever felt that way? Because of your past, something in your past, like you're forever going to have to settle for a second best life. Like maybe you you had these dreams, you were going to do all these things, but now you're on plan B or C or D because you've messed it up or somebody's messed it up. Can I just tell you, there's not one word in the Bible about having to settle for a second class life. Are there consequences for our sin and failure? Yes. But one of those consequences is not having to settle for a second class life. In fact, look at what the Bible says in Colossians 2. It says you were, past tense, you were dead because of your sins, but then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's why Jesus' last words on the cross, it is finished. He wasn't talking about his life, his mission. He was talking about the debt being paid, paid in 
full. Most of us continue to struggle with our past because we keep trying to figure out how to fix it ourselves. Some of us just try to hide it, stuff it down, pretend it didn't happen. If nobody else knows about it, if I can keep it a secret, then it didn't really happen. Some of us try to minimize it. Well, it wasn't that bad. Or, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. Some of us try to fix it by making up for it. If I can just do enough good things to pay for all the bad things. The problem is it's still there. The only way to be free from your past is to give it to the one who's already paid for it. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean to confess our sins? It's just simply to agree, to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with God about our sin, our failures, our brokenness. And when we do that, we are free from that sin. But here's the thing, it's not just my own sin that keeps getting in the way of my life, it's often the pain that other people have caused me. Things other people have done to me. They keep jacking up my life. Those wounds, those scars, those careless words, those abusive acts. But guess what? The solution to that past is the same. Freeing yourself from the pain that others have caused you is not gonna come from getting even. It comes from forgiveness. Notice Colossians 3.13. It says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now listen, this is not just a mandate because you've been forgiven, you can forgive others. It's also the key to unchaining yourself from the people who've hurt you. It's from forgiveness. Think about it. Why would you keep living your life chained to the very person that hurt you? Why would you keep living chained and give them that kind of power and that kind of control over your life? Break the chain by forgiving them. Let it go. Forgiveness, listen, forgiveness is not saying that what they did is okay or that's no big deal. Forgiveness is not saying they were right and you were wrong. Forgiveness is not restoring them to a place of trust in your life without change. Forgiveness is simply releasing to God the pain that others have caused you. You can't chain your past, but you don't have to keep living chained to it. And please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not minimizing the pain of your past. I'm not standing up here saying Jesus was crucified, so suck it up, buttercup, and get on with your life. I'm not like the movie Frozen singing, let it go, let it go. I understand it's not easy, and it's not an event. It is a daily process to keep laying down the pain of our past to Jesus. But Easter is God's invitation to unchain yourself from the past and truly come and live Number two, the second thing Jesus invites me to is a life with purpose in my present. Not just freedom from my past, but purpose in my present. The greatest tragedy in life is not death. The greatest tragedy in life is to live without ever knowing your purpose, without knowing why you are here. Look at what the Bible says, Ephesians 2.10. 
It says, for we, this is you, this is me. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. See what that verse says? Three things are true about every one of us. You are created on purpose, for a purpose, and that purpose is bigger than ourselves. You ever feel like your life is on merry-go-round that somebody else is pushing and you can't get off and you can't get it to slow down? You, You ever feel that way? And you wonder, how do I just keep all of this going faster and faster? I talk to people regularly and they just tell me, Philip, I'm just exhausted. I'm empty. I'm doing a lot of things, but I don't feel any significance. Almost every week, somebody tells me, I feel trapped. I feel trapped in this relationship. I feel trapped in this job. I I feel trapped in this struggle. Why? Why do we feel that way? Because we're trying to live lives on our own terms instead of living the life we were created for. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Look, you were created for so much more than just looking good and feeling good and having the goods. And when you run after those things, when you live on that treadmill, when you ride that merry-go-round, it may satisfy you and be a thrill for a moment, but it's gonna leave you empty and broken and hurting. A full calendar is not the same as a meaningful life unless that calendar is full of living out God's purpose for your life. A busy day is not the same as a productive day unless that day is busy being spent loving and serving others. You are created for so much more than just you. Living for yourself is settling for so much less than what you were created for. And through his resurrection, Jesus invites you to experience the joy, not the temporary happiness, the deep joy of living with purpose. And then finally, number three, the third thing Jesus invites me to is a life secure in my future. A life secure in my future. You know, one of our deepest needs as human beings is security. We need to feel secure. We we need to feel safe. We need to feel stable. And that is the driving need for so many of the things that we do. Did you know that? Some of the reason you do the things you do and say the things you say is because you're desperate for security. It's the reason you try to control everybody and everything in your life. It's the reason you try to control people and get them to do what you need them to do or or what make you feel safe about them, that they're gonna be okay, your family's gonna be okay. And so we reach for the control lever, not because we're a bunch of control freaks, it's just we are desperate for security. I think about that old country song, looking for love in all the wrong places. The reality is it's probably not love we're looking for, it's security we're looking for. And far too often we look for it 
in the wrong places. Notice Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The point is this, everybody's trusting in something. Everybody's looking for something to give them security. I meet people who say, well, you know, I don't have any faith. I don't trust. Yes, you do. You're trusting in something. Some of us trust in ourselves, our abilities, our talents, what we can do. Some of us trust in our finances. If I can get a big enough 401k, my future's gonna be secure. Some of us trust in relationships. If I could just marry this person or if I could just have a kid or if I could just have this friend or if I could just be a part of this group. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong with having a, a healthy self-worth. Nothing wrong with making good financial plans and saving for the future. Nothing wrong with having supportive, helpful people in your life, but just recognize they don't last forever. They are temporary. A secure future brings hope, and hope comes from trusting in something that will last, that is eternal, that can never be taken. And the great news about the resurrection is we have hope in something that will never die. Peter, who had a front row seat to all of this, would write these words, 1 Peter 1, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The security you're looking for is never gonna be found in the temporary circumstances of your life. Internal peace comes from trusting that God's got it and he's got you and he's got the future no matter what happens. That's security. So how do you get that? How do you get that kind of security? How do you experience this life free from our past? How do you get this life with purpose and meaning beyond ourselves? Look at what Jesus says, John 17. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. Here you go, Jesus' definition, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sin. You see that? It's a relationship, not a religion. Jesus doesn't say, this is eternal life if you'll adopt all these beliefs and dogmas and you'll behave these certain ways, if you'll do these certain rituals. He said, no, just know God and know me because I am God. That word know, K-N-O-W in the Bible, is not the same word that we use in the English. We talk about knowing somebody, we talk about knowing about them. We know information and facts about them and maybe we've even spoken to them. But when the Bible talks about knowing someone, it talks about the same kind of intimacy that exists between a husband and a wife in marriage. Knowing this intimate daily, up and down, failure and success journey walking with Jesus. If you don't have that relationship, I want to give you an opportunity today to take that first step into a relationship with Jesus. 
I can't think of a, a better time than Easter to accept Jesus' invitation to come and live. Would you pray with me? Spow your heads, close your eyes just for a few minutes. Maybe you're here today and you know about God or maybe you don't know anything. Or maybe you've been a part of a church forever, but it's just been about a religion, not a relationship. And today you have heard clearly the voice of God calling you to come and live. If that's you, you don't need a magic formula. You don't need any ritual. You just need to cry out in your heart, Jesus, I need you. I want to get to know you. I want to follow you. I want to come alive in you. Come into my heart. I admit, I confess my failures. I've been trying to do it in my own strength. And I keep messing it up. And Jesus, today, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I want you. The Bible says, when you receive that, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't change everything in your life overnight, but he gives you a new heart. And over time, step by step as you follow him, you begin to live the life you were created for. Jesus, we love you. We are overwhelmed and amazed by the power of the resurrection. But Jesus, don't let us walk out of here today unchanged. The cost was too high. The miracle was too big for us to just go on as usual. Transform us, Jesus. Call us to new life in you. In your name we pray. Amen.